Well, there you have another episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. This interview is of a United States Marine Corps 17-year veteran, gunnery sergeant, O.C. Fagan. He was Marine Recon, was deployed multiple times in Iraq and in Afghanistan, had to overcome a lot of demons and a lot of things during his transition. This is a story of brotherhood, teamwork, fighting through the demons and battling every day. Humbled and honored to have OC on the show today. And thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio. Your steely-eyed killer shadow in the night You were born to fight You gotta light em up My name is John Krotek, and I want to welcome you to Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine by Green Zone Hero. We're here to honor the wisdom of America's most valuable asset for combat veterans. We're authentic, we're empowering, we're American. Save us all they burn it down. Our guest for this episode of Straight Out of Combat Radio is a Marine who I just met a couple weekends ago up in Jacksonville, Florida. We were doing an event at Adamac Harley Davidson, Bay Meadow Road, and, and OC. Trey Fagan was there with his booth for Operation Barnabas and his book, The Untold Stories of Valhalla. We're going to get to that. But O.C. is a retired gunnery sergeant who spent 17 years in the illustrious United States Marine Corps. Everybody knows who those guys are and gals, and uh, we're proud of those Marines. He deployed multiple times to Iraq and Afghanistan. He's going to talk a little bit about that today. But the cool thing about O.C. is that he doesn't pull any punches, man. He is right out in front, talks very candidly about his challenges when he transitioned from the Marine world back into the civilian world, the things that he had to overcome. We're going to talk about that. He professes his Christianity right out front, and I love that about him because we speak the same language there, and, and without God in our lives, neither one of us would be here. Some cool things that O.C. has done, you know, and this is like, a lot of the Marines, not all of them, but a lot of the Marines, when they come put on the civvies, they still go to work. They don't mess around. And what OC's managed to do with his two projects is pretty freaking incredible. And, and we're proud of him. And Operation Barnabas, which is a nonprofit that he founded, is pretty cool. It's a faith-based organization. And what they do is they help veterans and first responders and law enforcement and people that are going through some difficulties and tough times in life, they're helping them to live their lives again. And kudos to those guys and gals over there that make Operation Barnabas happen. We're going to hear more about that today. But one of the things that really touched my heart, and I'm going to get off, I know I had a cup of coffee, but was O.C.'s book, The Untold Stories of Valhalla. It's heart-rendering, ladies and gentlemen, those of you who are listening. These are stories, firsthand accounts, of some of the greatest warriors the United States ever put into uniform. People from the Sniper, Marine Recon, Raiders, the really high, the hardcore individuals who go and do rough, dirty work. To read those stories, I sat here and read the whole book at one sitting early last Sunday morning and uh, did a couple of things that broke my heart to think that we lost such brave people. But it also made me realize that this thing we call America is so important in all of our lives, but also to the rest of the world. 
And all I can say is thank you, Osi, for being here. I'm glad you came back safe. I'm exceptionally proud of you and what you've managed to accomplish since you came back to the States. Osi's married and a father of four. You know, he's a busy guy. So not only is he doing all these great things for the veterans and the in the in the first responder community, he's also raising four children with his wife and I'm just happy and humbled to have you here. So thank you, Osi, for being on Straight Outta Combat. Thank you, John. There you go. So let's get right to it. Tell us a little bit about the Fagan household. Tell us what was going on. So uh, the Fagan household, as we speak now, I have a 7 to 3.30 full-time day job. I'm a maintenance technician, got out of the military and uh, wanted to just do an everyday job uh, to support the family. So something I can uh, clock in, clock out. And, and at that 3.30, uh, I, I do my best to leave work at work and uh, come home. And first thing I do is give a good holler to, to the three kids under three and the 14 year old and, and let them know uh, I'm home and, and give some hugs and high fives and on a good day, get to play with them until dinner's uh, ready. So family is, is definitely uh, a priority in my life. Like you said, neither of us would be here if it wasn't for uh, the grace of God and uh, what he's done in our lives. And, and uh, each day I, I look at my kids, it reminds me of how, how good I have it. And at the same time, how how bad I uh, have at once as well. Roger that. So let's back up a little bit. So that's your immediate family. Tell us about the family you grew up in. You know, who were your mentors and and did you have any military folks in your background? And, you know, how did you even get to that recruiting station? I guess you could say my my military uh, story, how I became a Marine is is a little uh, not like uh, most of my friends I talked to in the Marine Corps. Most of my friends had an uncle, a, a dad, and and they heard the war stories and and uh, saw the camis in the closets and always wanted to be a Marine. My story's a little different. I I grew up watching uh, Emmett Smith and Eric Rett and uh, <laughs> the Florida Gators from Gainesville, Florida, and thought I was going to be a football player up until uh, the end of my high school career when I realized it wasn't going to work out. So I had a Marine marine recruiter that kept bugging me all during the week at school i think we just lost our uh semifinal uh state playoff game and i was bummed out and i was tired of them messing with me and i i agreed to an appointment uh with them uh that weekend and i think i woke up after going to a high school party a little a little groggy realizing i, I made a promise to go meet this uh, marine recruiter I, so I, I couldn't pass up doing what i told told him and and so I went and saw him I wasn't too focused on what he was having to say and and he put in this uh, VHS video where this guy in camouflage utilities and cami face paint on his face and he was sneaking through the woods and and he had a uh, wire cutter cutters and he and he cut the bottom of a fence and he snuck through the fence and he had his binoculars and, and he was he was getting eyes on the target and he was doing some surveillance. Come in and do a direct action uh, hit. And I said, I said, all right, recruiter, if, if I can do something like that, we're good. What do you got like that? And he said, well, that's that's Marine recon. So so just so happened during that time period, 99, 1999. 
They did have open contract for marine reconnaissance. So if you did pass every school that they sent you to, you would have the opportunity to become a reconnaissance marine. On the other hand, if you failed any of those courses, you went to open contract uh, so they could send you to be a cook or whatever. I didn't pay too much attention to that. I was, it was either pass or I was in trouble. So as grace, as luck will have it, I passed all my courses, all the swim, all the indoctrination schools and passed basic reconnaissance school in, in 2000. And uh, they sent me to Okinawa, Japan, 3rd Recon Battalion, where I started uh, in the fleet with my Marine career. Let me ask you about that, about basic training. You know, when you got the basic training, so you had signed up for recon, which is pretty cool. What was the training like for you? And can you, is there any one time in basic OC that you thought to yourself, I'm, I'm here now, you know, this is really happening. I'm in the United States Marine Corps. And, you know, tell us about that training, basic training. Basic training was definitely a uh, an eye opener. wasn't used to being away from home as much as uh, I was away from home there at Basic. A lot of writing home to mommy letters uh, late at night in 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 my uh, rack. I can remember that sleeping in my bunk, telling mama I missed her. It was tough to be away from home. I, I always enjoyed uh, a challenge though, and I played sports in my younger years. And anything to push me and, and challenge me, I enjoyed. I, I always floated towards the challenge uh, and typically didn't, didn't like shying away from a challenge. So it was good. I would say I was set, played football, baseball, basketball, soccer, weightlifting in high school. So, so I had a good time uh, in basic training uh, as far as the seriousness and, and accountability, that was a, a shell shock for me, and 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 uh, I, I definitely learned some things in those in those areas. When you graduated, you know that's a big thing. I know that certainly the uniform in the Marine Corps is pretty striking. And when you graduated, who came to your graduation? At my graduation, uh, I had my parents, my mother and father, and my grandfather. O.C. Robert Fagan Sr. He was in the Army, and his father was in the Army. So so my dad was an electrician, didn't really serve in the military, but his father, and like I said, his father, O.C. Sr., was in the Army, had a Purple Heart, World War II, and hearing stories of his really gave me a level of respect for men in the military. So to see him at my graduation, I still pull it out from time to time. I have a picture me in my graduation uniform with my grandfather, father, all together. Grandfather's passed uh, now, but uh, it brings back good memories. Awesome, man. So that's pretty cool. So then, so now you're in Okinawa. What are you guys doing over there? Okinawa, I knew I was the new kid on the block. It was taught to us early to uh, keep our mouths shut and try to be a sponge, soak up everything you could. And that involved copious amounts of uh, alcohol and plenty of midnight PT sessions. Okinawa is a unique place to serve as your first uh, duty station. You don't have the stateside uh, luxuries. So, and, and this is really before we started the 
Afghanistan, Iraq wartime. So, so it's a complete different mindset from your, your training, uh, mindset and then your wartime mindset. And as soon as I arrived at third recon battalion, that wartime mindset wasn't there. I mean, training was everything. I mean, we were in the field doing long range patrols through the mountains of Okinawa, uh, all through the week, come out of the field, we'd clean our, clean our guns, clean our gear. And, and then all we had was our brothers. We, we didn't go home to families. Everybody lived in the barracks together. So after a hard training mission, you come back, we'd light the grill and have a good time. It, it really formed a tight bond, a tight uh, knit group of brotherhood. And I'm still to this day, in my opinion, there's no, no other place to do a training workup for a unit to build that cohesion and, and uh, just like uh, MMA fighters, when they when they travel up to the mountains, the high altitude, they try to get away from everything, clear their minds. At Okinawa is a great place to do that for for a unit uh, preparing to uh, go to battle because all you, you you live, eat, and sleep with your brothers and and uh, you get to know them real well. Yeah, you know, and you know, it's it's you know, we we hear about teamwork on you know civilian sports teams, but when it's a life and death situation. What you just mentioned, OC, the the brotherhood. Without a strong brotherhood and a strong bond, that fighting force is definitely going to have some issues when they get in the situation. So, it's probably good that that the Marine Corps sends people like yourself and other Marines to Okinawa to get that kind of warrior mentality and that brotherhood bonding. You know, so but things changed at nine eleven. You know, so here you are, you're in operational training mode. Now all of a sudden it changes. Tell us about nine eleven and what was going on with you guys in the Corps. Okay. So so nine eleven happened. I, at this time uh I I'd done my Okinawa third recon uh tour and I got orders to second force recon at Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. So, so at this 9-11 time, we had uh, a few, few teams uh, doing some stuff, uh, depl- MU deployments in Afghanistan and whatnot, nothing serious. And then uh, 9-11 happened. I remember that day I was, I was actually in a training zone in uh, Camp Lejeune, North Carolina, teaching some land navigation to some young Marines, uh, awaiting to go to their basic uh, reconnaissance course. And we heard over over uh, the radio, and uh, they said, hey, this is going down. Uh, they just hit the, the towers. So everybody got wide-eyed, and, and uh, the, that's when things really started to transition, and everybody knew there was going to be a change in what we were doing. Before it was... Hey, you, you kind of knew the routine. You you went on deployment for six to nine months. When you got home, you uh, had your relaxed time, your your school phase. Guys would go to the winds. Uh, this is in, in the States uh, at Second Force Recon. You would, I mean, guys would go to different separate schools. Some guys would take leave. And then you would go into your six-month training phase. And, and after your whole team has been trained up and proficient and you have all your quals, you go on a uh, six-month deployment. So six months, six months, six months. 
year and a half of a, a cycle, a routine. You knew what was going on. As soon as uh, we saw the towers get hit, we, we knew some different priorities were going to come down the pipe, and, and that's definitely what happened. That dwelling time, the time you get with your families, that shrinked quite a bit for uh, everybody in our line profession. And uh, a bunch of guys did multiple back-to-back combat deployments after they got their first taste of uh, combat. Um, it's, it's definitely a, a different mindset and, and uh, feeling once you uh, experience combat. Tell us about your first deployment. How soon after the towers fell did, did your unit deploy? How, how soon? So I was in my training phase when the towers were hit. Uh, and so I, I went on 24th Mew, Marine Expedition, Expeditionary Unit. I was deployed. Uh, we went to various different locations in the Mediterranean and we were at our six month point and we were uh, still hanging out in the Mediterranean. And I think our boat was, it was chow time, lunch time. And on a ship, you, you have uh, the long hallways. Well, guys were lined up for uh, lunch and, and you have a, you have a Marine line, Marines down one side of the hallway. And then you had the Navy line. Navy guys down the other side of the hallway, and you heard over the intercom, they 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 called and they said, "Hey, President Bush has has made his announcement. We're going to be uh, sending troops to Iraq, and this is we're we're a, we're a boat full of Marines in the Mediterranean, and we'd already been out there for six months. And the sailors on the boat, they they've been out there at least another two two and a half months before that. So once they said that." You, you saw the line of uh, Navy sailors just, I mean, hitting the wall, disgruntled. And, and then you look over at the Marine side and you see people hooting and hollering, high-fiving. And, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, like, like everybody just had a, everybody just had a birthday party. So I, that was, I remember that very distinctly. And, and we were excited, uh, never, never getting the opportunity to, to see combat. And I mean, like I said, Training time in the military is so, so different than uh, combat time. And, and we've been at combat for the last 19 years, roughly. So this is that time right there where, for my experience and the other uh, 20 to 30 guys in my Force Recon team, this was the realization of, hey, everything that we've done in this workup and every time we've hit a house, done a, a raid, Every training scenario we had, uh, it was finally going to be put to the test. So we were excited to actually be able to see our skills put to work. So, yeah, it was an exciting time for us. With that being said, it's exciting until you see that first bullet flying by your head. And, and, then, and then some things change a little bit. Tell us about that. Tell us, where did you guys deploy first? And, you know, Iraq, obviously, and you were the first wave, it sounds like to me. My platoon went up through Kuwait. We had a few vehicles at this time. No vehicles were armored. Hmm. This was still uh, the Humvees where you had to put the sandbags on, on the floor. And no vehicles had weapons mounts. I think we went to the, uh, the welder on the boat and we said, hey, man, obviously we didn't know we were going to be going into Iraq. We want something to hold our machine gun on this Humvee. So 
So he welded us up some little uh, jerry-rigged uh, mount on the back of the Humvee. Little swivel mounts were unheard of at that time, or, or we didn't have them available to us. So, so we had to uh, weld up an, an, our own device to have our 240 and saw mounted on the Humvee. And so it would spin in a 360-degree angle. Like I said, of course, we uh, sandbagged the Humvees. And at this time, on a Marine Expeditionary Unit, if, if you weren't an infantry guy or a recon guy and you were a staff NCO, you were issued a 9mm pistol. So so, so if you could picture a line of uh, <laughs> vehicles, uh, Humvees, 7 tons, 5 tons, lined up on the border of Iraq and Kuwait and uh, – of course, us and the grunts are the only ones with uh, M4s, machine guns. Had a lot of staff sergeants uh, that weren't necessarily infantrymen and uh, and recon guys <laughs> trying to get on get on your vehicle. And uh, it was something they just didn't plan for. But of course, uh, our orders at the time, we were following up, uh, I believe it was 1st Recon Battalion, as they were making the race to... Uh, Baghdad, we were coming in behind them and basically cleaning up, trying to um, trying to take over or, or control uh, the places that they blew through. And they didn't do full searches. That their, their, their mission was to get to Baghdad as, as quick as possible. We were to come in and occupy those uh, intersections and towns that uh, that they went through. And and so that's what we did. Well, you, you know, you talked about stuff changes when you when you have rounds coming at you, and I'm sure it does. But can you tell us what those missions were like, and 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 what you know, what kept you focused? Did you guys know why you were there? So a lot of civilians ask ask you that uh, upon uh, returning from a combat zone. I just returned from a funeral of uh, one of my Marsoc close friends and me in the civilian life after three years of civilian life when i heard he died that was my first uh question was 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 what are we doing there what what is uh so important uh for a man to to uh, lose his life when he has kids and and family but when i was there we were so laser focused on like i said living, eating, sleeping with your teammates, uh, laser focused on not letting your brother down, the guy to your left, the guy to your right. And, and hey, what did we sign up for? We signed up to, to protect and defend this country. So, so for me, just a team guy to get deep and, and question the, the whys and the is this right, is this wrong, really really doesn't serve a purpose when when I'm already in that scenario. I'm in that I'm I'm on that Humvee. Uh, I'm heading across the border and I know twenty eight other guys are are sitting right next to me that have sweat, uh, blood, the tears. They've they've given it all just like I have. So so for me, that's not the point in time, and, and it's not really a question I, I have a, a, a reason to answer. I, I know I am there, and I know I, I need to do my best uh, job to ensure uh, my buddies make it home and I make it home. So 
that's how I tend to answer that question. Uh, I try not to get too uh, right or wrong on, on if we should be there, if we shouldn't, but I just know I need to do the best to protect my brothers. Well, I think, you know, the, I think to follow up with that, OC, there really is no right or wrong and, you, and you're right. You know, you're there and it is about the team. It's about accomplishment, mission accomplishment and without taking casualties and doing the job and getting the job done, you know, serving United States of America. And, and, you know, the question, you know, we hear that too, you know, people wonder about the military all the time and, but that they really, a lot of those questions, they don't really have an idea about how deep the bonds actually go and not getting into politics, which to me, it doesn't really matter because somebody asked me one time, I don't care who's in the white house, Republican, Democrat, independent, green party, whatever, it's still the commander in chief and we signed up. And, you know, I think that you're so correct that so many military doesn't see. It, it seems like we don't see those types of divisions. You know, there might be a rivalry between the Navy and the Marines or, you know, the Army and the Navy. But we don't really see the political side of it. You know, we see our brothers and sisters, as you mentioned. And I'm glad you pointed that out because that's something that's overlooked when people ask that question. So is there any, you know, that was your first deployment and obviously you deployed multiple times. Is there any one or two things that happened during any of your deployments where you went, where something just clicked or went off or, or just, it seems surreal or is there, is there something that you want to share that you witnessed that just blew your mind? Yeah. So my Iraq, deployment my first deployment in 2003 where where i heard rounds coming by my head my vehicle i didn't we did a few uh raids uh on houses found quite a few weapon stashes but nothing too serious so uh, after that deployment 2003 i came home and i was all uh, i i got a taste of it i wanted to go back and disappointingly uh they sent our our platoon to Saudi Arabia to do uh, some training, train the Saudi Marines up after that. So so quite a few of those same guys I was in the team with got out after that, went and did some contracting work. That's when uh, defense contracting was real big. So I, I decided to stay in and took a instructor billet at a dive school. So I did that from 06 to 09 and, and uh, I thought I was doing it for good reasons, but w- what it did when I was down at dive school teaching marine combatant dive as i i continued to see all these uh combat hardened guys coming down there and 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 you could really tell i was more used to the training mentality marine corps and i'm seeing these guys coming down there after their second third combat deployment just with the mindset hey i'm down here for a school not get hurt and then i'm going back over there to fight again and and it was uh it was very blown away and and I I res- I respected those guys a lot but it it, it made me a little jealous it, it made me uh hungry to see and hear some of the stories that they were sharing and it made me feel a little guilty uh, at the same time uh, when I I was down there almost living you could say a civilian life uh, teaching teaching uh, class after class dive school and these guys are are, are getting to go get some and and, uh, and then of course you hear about somebody you know dying so so I had this uh 
sense of guilt and uh, jealousy that <laughs> was eating me. And it's crazy that you can think of it like that. Hey, hey, guys are going over there and, and getting shot at, shooting back at people, and your buddies are dying. And, and to me, I was jealous. I don't know how really how else to explain it, but I felt that. And, and that was a knot in my stomach up until 2009 when I returned to a Marine Special Operations Command and my first deployment with uh, MARSOC. I had that same feeling uh, all the way up until uh, a few missions uh, with my MARSOC team. And you could say I was itching to uh, see what I missed. And I wanted to prove my worth. I mean, I, I saw some stuff in Iraq in 2003, but just being an instructor billet and, and hearing stories and, and uh, going to funerals uh, from guys I knew, not being able to be over there and, and help them out, I was, I was definitely hungry, to say the least. So something that sticks out to me is uh, we had a, uh, a pass, a valley, um, and we were coming back from a patrol, and we saw a few uh, Taliban, they called them Taliban at the time, with some weapons in that pass. And so we uh, interjected them. We were on motorcycles at the time because uh, if you were on the roads in, in the area of operation I was at, uh, it was likely you were going to be exposed to IEDs. So taking motorcycles, we would come up uh, in the mountains and, and be able to get to the enemy a little bit easier. So that's what we did. Uh, we, we pursued these two individuals with weapons and we dismounted our bikes and we chased them probably 800 yards to the end of this pass where it button hooked into a village. Well, 800 yards of sprinting in, in uh, bullet bouncers in full kit, we were worn out to say the least. And, and that hungry mentality that I had I learned real quick that that wasn't the best mentality to have fighting the Taliban because they baited us. Those two guys got about four of us into that pass and they had a sniper up on a mountaintop uh, to the right of us, probably 40, 50 yards up in elevation. And he started uh, laying round, uh, accurate rounds on our position. In Afghanistan, they have trails, goat trails, there's about a waist high mud barrier on that uh, trail. And that was the only thing keeping uh, me and the three other Marines, keeping something in between his uh, accurate fire. So we were pinned down. And up until this point, I was, I was loving it. I'm like, man, we're, we're taking some rounds. We just chased uh, two of these guys 800 yards through, through a pass. Uh, let's find this sniper and, and uh, handle business. So I'm peeking up, peeking my head over, trying to get eyes on them. And the next thing you know, I tell this story like this. And after I say it, I know it can't be true. But in my mind, as I'm, I'm looking for this guy on this rock pack, on this rock wall, seeing where he's taking shots at, I hear a round get shot. And it was like life slowed down for me uh, for a moment and and everything in my mind told me I saw around uh, coming at me, whether that's just my mind saying that or, or what. But right in front of me, that mud wall exploded right in front of my face. And 
luckily the round hit that wall, but just the explosion of all that dirt, it threw me back uh, across the goat trail. And I had one of those moments where every, every hunger I had, every knot in my stomach from feeling bad because I, I wasn't. I wasn't doing anything uh, those last three years that brought everything into perspective right there. And I was out for probably only a couple seconds, but it felt like eternity. And, and I, those thoughts of, oh boy, what did I just get myself into? Started racing through my head, started thinking about my family. What would they have uh, thought about if I would have taken that round? And all these different thoughts are going through my head. And like I said, this seems like an eternity in my mind. And uh, in reality, it was only a couple seconds. And, and I come to as one of my buddies, he comes over and grabs me by the guy, by the collars. Trey, Trey, you all right? And, and I come to him. Like, yeah, I'm good. Where's he at? Where's he at? And we, and we get back into the fight. And uh, long story short, uh, we had some uh, Cobras, close air support, come in, and and we had an amazing JTAC uh, who, who called called air and talked to the Cobra and, and told him uh, distance and direction of where this uh, sniper was. He came in over our right shoulder and put accurate rounds on target, and we made it out of there. One of our guys uh, got shot that day, so we had to evac him, and, but uh, it was it – was, it was just a grazing wound in the leg, so we carried him out after uh, close air support took out the sniper, and and we made it home. But that was my moment. It took my second combat deployment, and that mental picture of that that wall in front of me exploding to say, "Oh boy, this this is the real deal." Well, thank you, you know, for sharing that. You know, I would have to say that's probably a serious freaking moment of clarity, and you were probably wondering. Well, you know, dive school probably doesn't seem so bad right now, but, you know, thank God your buddy survived that incident and thank God you bagged the uh, the bad guys and that you're here to tell that story because that doesn't seem like maybe a lot, but the way you describe the moment of clarity makes one understand that there are very important things in life that before we wonder what we're getting ourselves into, maybe we need to think sometimes, but I'm just glad you made it back to, to share that story. So you finished out Afghanistan. Want to get to a little bit about your transition and some of the things that you overcame in your transition. And let me ask you about the transition when you finally made the decision to get out of the Marine Corps, 17 years, awesome career, did a lot of good things for the country and for the units that you were with. What was the transition like? How, how was that? And do you think you got enough instruction when you went through it? Yeah, the... Uh... So, so the transition for me really worked in turn with my, with my life transformation. I wanted to, I don't know how, how you want to explain this. 2014 is when I basically had my uh, rock bottom moment. And 2016 is when I retired. So you want me to go into just talk transition or? Well, you know what? Tell us what you want to tell us. It's your story, OC. And, and, you know, what do you want? You know, we've heard that a lot of times. I mean, we could, you know, you get to that rock bottom point. It's not a very good place to be, but it can be a very transformative place, especially if you have that support network. And if you have that internal drive, like the drive you had to get back over there, but you know, you obviously had the drive to turn this around. And we talked about the book and we talked about operation Barnabas. 
which is the good things that came out of that. Tell us about that dark moment and you don't have to go into great detail unless you want to, but tell us how that happened and, and what you learned there in that dark place. Yeah. Yeah. So I'll, uh, I'll go over my rock bottom and it'll lead into the transition, but 2013, I was a part of a eight, two, one, one, an amazing team. Some of the best guys I ever worked with. And we were in Afghanistan doing missions every three days. Uh, just, I mean, uh, we had what, 15 guys in, in a, uh, in a, a team. And I can almost say you could compare it to watching uh, NASCAR and one of those pit crew teams when, when that car pulls in. I mean, everybody was hitting on all cylinders. We would do a mission, do our debrief, find the intel gathered from that mission and suit up and go do it again. Uh, so it was an all-time high for, for myself and the guys in the team, uh, um, 2012, 2013. Uh, unexpectedly, uh, 2013, I was sent home from Afghanistan for a serious combat investigation. That combat investigation drawing out for three years and ultimately had a big impact on uh, where I am today. When I got home from Afghanistan in 2013, had the wife, had uh, the 14-year-old. We bought a new house, had the white picket fit fence, so to speak. Thought I had everything I, I wanted, but at the same time, I couldn't fill that void of those missions every three days, that adrenaline rush of uh, what you feel after doing a combat mission, and something uh, was missing in me. I wasn't sleeping right. I was having headaches. I was having nightmares, and I knew I wanted to get back uh, on a combat deployment. That wasn't possible for me at the time with this serious investigation going on. I didn't know which way things were going to turn. So ultimately, I started drinking more. I was drinking quite a bit, whether it was a, a fifth of whiskey a night. Drinking led to uh, doing drugs behind my wife's back. Uh, it, it leaded to mistrust and problems in my marriage. And next I mean, it wasn't uncommon for guys at work knew that I was I was sleeping in the office to get away from the wife. And while all this was going on, I wasn't living a, a good life for myself or my family. Uh, marriage ended up being more about uh, the wife trying to catch me in a lie and and, and the dishonesty than than uh, living how both of us should. So so a lot of guilt and shame. I knew I was doing wrong. My focus was on what the wife was doing wrong instead of looking inside at what my problems truly were. Uh, it all came to a head when uh, I missed work on a Monday. I was scared to go in. At the same time, that didn't stop me from continuing to drink. So it comes around Tuesday morning and I'm still smelling, sweating like booze. And, and, and I got a knock on the door. I was at the house at the time and and it was my team chief from my last combat deployment with with a few other uh, good friends. And and they didn't need to say anything. They did. But I looked at them. I, I think it was all I was all sh shrinked up, skinny, sweating, looking terrible, no shirt on, pair of shorts. And uh, they were in their camis and, and they said, hey, Trey, 
what are you doing, bro? You're better than this. We need to get you some help, man. You're, you're not living right for yourself or your family. And, and I knew it. Them saying that people that I cared about, people that I've been to combat with, done everything to uh, impress and live up to their expectations because I wanted to do good for them, not only myself. Them saying it to me that at, at my all-time low, it broke me down right there. And before I, I had, I had, it was a, it was a, a roller coaster of bad choices and bad times when I was at my all time low. The difference was, is, is I would go to work and, and I would think, uh, people wouldn't, couldn't tell I had booze on my breath and, and I'd get away with it or uh, I'd get off. Somebody would say, ah, oh, man, we, we know you're, you're not doing so hot, but we're going to cover for you this time, but you, you need to get right. And I would get away with stuff. And ultimately it, it didn't fix the problem. It was just putting a bandaid on, on a wound that I was continuing to uh, uh, let bleed. So at that moment with my friends sitting there and a wife at the house that I didn't see any future of this marriage going anywhere with the level of uh, trust issues we had, I decided enough was enough, and, and I, I needed to address myself. Uh, I needed to, to fix what was going on with me because if I didn't change my ways, I wasn't going to be able to deal with the marriage, which ultimately when, when I would sit there and, and think about all the problems I had, I was thinking too big picture. And uh, when I saw my buddy sitting in front of me, it, it all – simplified it it was more like hey i don't care if i get in trouble i don't care if i go pop on a piss test i don't care if i get an njp for drinking i mean this is 16 years uh military career i was willing to throw away i don't care if i don't get to deploy again this is bigger than that i need to fix my life i need to fix who i am so that's when uh, i said yeah let's let's do something and and it that decision right there caused a uh, transformation in my life that involved I went to uh, Arizona for inpatient treatment I was dual diagnosed with PTSD and uh, substance abuse so we immediately addressed those two issues the substance abuse was trying to keep down the PTSD and and I'd never talked about the PTSD before the uh, operator mentality is I don't, I don't want to discuss these nightmares uh, because I want to be able to deploy. I want to be able to go back with my boys. This is what I've trained to do the last 16 years of my military career. And, and in my mindset and in, in many others, if I let them know that I'm having nightmares, these uh, PTSD symptoms, they're going to take me out of a team. I'm, I'm going to be non-deployable. So a couple of things. The first is thank you for sharing that. And and I know we're not done here, but a couple of things that you point out is that, you know, we've talked about it is the brotherhood and, and, you know, it's so important to realize that or important to have a team like that around you that cares enough about you and anybody listening to this, you know, we all have those buddies that have been through those places and you'll hear my story sometime, but, uh, we'll, we'll share a story, but, uh, yeah, I know those dark places, but also it, one thing that you point out, and this is so relevant to your personal story, is that 
you know, with that operator mentality, that military mindset is you are not weak when you can face those demons head on and say, listen, you don't have me. I got me. And we're going to get through this because weakness is a whole. And maybe you can say, I don't, you know, we, we always have these semantic definitions of what weakness is. But for me personally, when a person can look at that person in the mirror, which is ourselves, and admit that we have these weaknesses because of whatever we're not dealing with, that takes a tremendous amount of strength and courage beyond anything. You know, seeing the round explode or doing a PT test or, you know, doing a deep dive, whatever we're doing, facing those demons is the most courageous things that thing that you can ever do. And, and, and thank you for sharing that, you know, because that is so freaking important to getting back on track when you're in the rut and, you know, you don't want to say, well, that's a beautiful story because you had to live that pain. But one thing that a buddy of mine, I used to lead guided trips to the Andes. We did high altitude mountaineering. And one time we're sitting around the camp and I said, hey, what does mountaineering mean to you? And he looks at me, he goes, it's whoever suffers the best, John. And so life is kind of like that. Life is whoever suffers the best. And one thing that you pointed out, O.C., is that we cannot escape the suffering that life throws at us. You're going to suffer and experience pain. You're going to. It gives me goosebumps, man, because I can relate to that. I called the crisis center. I had to get my own self turned around from demons that had haunted me for four decades. So that bit of bravery and that personal courage that you exhibited and many people like us that have been there is something to be heralded and guys like you that took that pain and turned it into operation barnabas got back with his wife to be the man that he knows he is and wants to be and then co-authors this book about warriors that didn't make it home I can't tell you, brother, but that you are a freaking inspiration, man, in more ways than one. And anybody listening to OC's story that's out there, maybe in a similar place, you're not alone. And the way you just described it, and this is the first time on State of Combat, that story's deep and it's relevant. And I got to tell you, man, I just met you a few weeks ago, but I'm, I'm really proud to know you as an individual, as a Marine, as a fellow service guy, and as somebody that's also on the front lines of helping people. That's bad. That's that, 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 that I don't want to use the ASS word, but that's badass. Sorry, God, you know, so thank you for that. But, you know, so, so you, you pull yourself out of that. You've got a network of people wanting to see OC come through and especially his wife, God bless her. And, and 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 you come back and you got these ideas. Tell us about Operation Barnabas. Tell us about that, and then lead and then lead into the book, man. Okay. After my transformation, and like I said, it involved inpatient treatment. It involved AA. Uh, went to ninety meetings in ninety days. 
it, it, it involved a lot of mentors. I had a lot of guys uh, rooting for me. Tim Hogan, my team chief, Justin Scarborough, Jeff Isle, Chris Anson, a bunch of amazing uh, guys I, I got to go to work with and see on a daily basis as I was doing this transformation after inpatient treatment. So I'm sitting there struggling with how to live sober and live with my wife sober and communicate with people. And I just stuck on to these individuals that I noticed they were good men. They were good Marines. They were good fathers. They were good husbands. And I just watch them on a daily basis and I would uh, feed off of them. So mentors were huge. Got with the chaps at my unit and me and the wife started meeting uh, with the chaps on a weekly basis. And, and we would get into an argument on the weekend and we would just suck it up and hold it in and not say anything negative to each other. And, and we'd both be like, I can't wait to bring this up when we meet the chaps next week. Yeah, this is going to be a good one. And we would hold it in it. So it took, it took a good six months of patience and her, she was great. My wife is uh, amazing. This wouldn't, this transformation wouldn't be possible without her, but she would separate herself from the situation. If I was being hard headed and took some of that, it, it took her giving, her taking, and uh, myself as well. But slowly, we started seeing some patience uh, begin to build up and uh, communication in our relationship. And after about the six-month uh, mark of sobriety, things started to improve, and we were working together. About this time, I see retirement in my future, and I realize that I'm not going to deploy anymore. I'm not going to be able to... Uh, go to combat with my guys anymore. So, so I knew I had to do something to give back. And at the same time, guys I work with, I've known for 16 years, no, uh, wild man, Trey, they see me straightening up and they, they see the, uh, proof in the pudding, so to speak. So out of the blue, people are contacting me saying, Hey, Trey, Hey man, how did you do it? I'm having problems too. So, I mean, guys are popping up like flies that I never would have uh, suspected to have issues. And at the same time, my wife is up front with our transition and, and wives have their wives networks and wives are popping out of the blue, uh, contacting her saying, Hey, how did you guys do it? My husband, he, he drinks too much. Uh, we, we fight about this, that. And, and so, while I'm being honest with my story and, and, and sharing to some of my buddies uh, that I work with, she's doing the same uh, in the wives network. Uh, so before you know it, she's sharing stories with me. I'm sharing stories with her. Before we get in the showers at night, she's on the phone talking a wife, giving her her experiences. And that's really how it happened. Uh, we were we were honest and upfront with the template that we use to uh, try to improve our lives. And, and before we knew it, we had a, a small network of people we would communicate with. And, and that's when we decided, you know what? It feels good to help others through our personal experiences. And that's what it was all about. It, I mean, we experience these struggles and we realize there's a positive side uh, to what we went through. First off, experience for us. I don't think I would be where I'm at today if it wasn't for those lows in my life. But uh, 
it, it gave us an avenue to help others. And that's where Operation Barnabas came about. That's awesome, man. You know, now, you know, you, you said it eloquently, you know, when you can give back, you know, been to those dark places and you can give back, it means so much more than the, it just, you know, it's an exhilarating feeling to know that those, you know, you can take those bad things or those dark places and turn them into light, which is what God does, but which is what you're doing with Operation Barnabas. And, you know, I wasn't joking at the outset in the bio, I, you know, I was thinking about you and seeing how you operated at that event we were at. And then I, you were really nice and generous to give me a book, you know, like I got a signed copy and I was stoked to get that, you know, that was like the coolest thing that happened all weekend. And, but I sat here a few days later here in my study and I said, okay, I'm going to find out what, what, what OC is all about and what this book is all about. And I sat and I read the whole thing. It's pretty impactful, man, to get the words of those warriors who lost their buddies in combat. So straightforward, so upfront, what those Marines said or those, you know, snipers said before they were gone and and how their buddies felt about them. And, and to be able to compile, you know, the untold stories of Valhalla, and I know you're working on other ones, but to compile these stories for posterity, and I'm not blowing smoke, this is about the greatest thing that you can do to honor these people who aren't here anymore. They're here in spirit and they're here in memory and they're here in the stories that, you, that you've been able to extract. But that's a project that is just unbelievable. And I just, you know, again, and thank you for doing the book. You know, what do you want non-veterans, the civilian world to know about veterans, but especially combat veterans? Because there's, a, there's this negative stereotype that we all hate that you guys are gals that have tasted combat and, and, and seen the bullets explode and friends lost that you're, you know, hair triggers and you're, you're coming back home and, you know, you're dangerous to be around. There's that stereotype out there and we don't, we're trying to break that. What do you want those civilians to know about the warriors? So what uh, the untold stories of Valhalla portrays, I think it does a good job and, and, a couple chapters is the book not only tells you uh, real world combat stories where it goes through, hey, I'm getting shot at, returning fire, and gives details of actual events, but it also talks about uh, the individual, the hero, who he was as a son, a father, as a, as a drinking buddy. It it it's, it has those personal uh, stories of when he comes home from combat. It shows that the stereotype that a combat veteran is any different than anybody else's. It shows that they're very close uh, to just another guy. I work at a chemical plant. I'm a maintenance technician. I, I work hand in hand with 11 other normal guys and tell one of my close buddies he's one of those uh, military uh, I mean, he just, he, you tell him something about the military and his eyes just get wide open. <laughs> and uh and he's he gets excited all the time and, and this is a sharp guy and, and i i try to stress to him uh every day me and me and him are, are no different i was i was just put into a scenario where i was lined up with 15 other of my good buddies and we had a job to do and and we did everything we could so we could make it home and we could defend our buddies to our left and right and we're no different in my eyes well let me ask you this you know and and you know i'm i'm it's a great words of wisdom because you know we are just people 
and we all have different experiences and you just happen to have a different path. You know, veterans have, have a different path and, you know, so let's just say there's a brother or sister. That's a, this is a two part question. And I know you got this man. There's a brother or sister out there in a dark place, you know, what kind of advice can you give them? And, and also what does freedom mean to you? Okay. For those in a dark place, there's nothing more important than experiencing the joys of life. There's, there's nothing so detrimental to you that's worth, uh, taking your own life. Um, I can't imagine not being able to experience the joy of, of, of seeing a smile or, or seeing somebody else grateful, uh, for the things you can do for them in life. It's, um, sometimes I, I say I'm selfish, uh, because the feeling, the feeling I, I, from doing something for else, it, there's no other experience. Uh, I mean, it's, it's one of a kind. I, I enjoy it. No, I just, it, no, it's good answer. I, you know, we just got choppy. I guess we're having some calm, you know, issues, but, uh, you know, there, there is a lot of joy to life. And sometimes when you're in that dark place, I know I, I called that crisis center, um, when my whole world was coming down and freaking 27 weeks of <laughs> some hardcore question answering, you know, and looking at that guy and, and appreciating him. And just like you went through and, and you're right, you know, it's, it's, you might not be there now thinking about it when you're in that dark place, but it does get better and it takes time. And, and you mentioned patience story of recovery and a story of overcoming and a story of real heroism on the battlefields. One thing, but in a personal life is, is another type, you know, if they gave out ribbons for those things, imagine, Freedom to me is it's when I was uh, this this past weekend, I had the honor of being at my close friend's funeral. And when when they spoke. Yes, sir. When they when uh, another good friend got up and, and spoke on his behalf and said, said this individual was a professional. He knew how to separate work from home. That's something I still work, work on, on a daily basis, by the way. But when he gets home to just see him laying on the floor, uh, with his kids jumping on him and not another care in the world, uh, that really hit home with me because, uh, that's, that's, that's my goal on a daily basis. Uh, 3.30 comes, I come home and, and just want to love on those kids. There's been so many times uh, that I haven't done that in the past when my life wasn't the way it is now. And I remember the guilt, uh, the, ne- the neglect that I would give uh, my family. To, so, so the way I live now, to be able to come home and, and – and just see the the joy of my kids and kind of take myself out of that situation and look down and, and see the scene playing in front of me where, where the kids are uh, laughing, loving on one another. That's freedom to me where you can close off those stressors in your mind and, and just enjoy peace and uh, 
family time. That's that's freedom for me. That's some darn good freedom right there. You know, and it is something to enjoy and something to uh, something to relish in. You know, OC, how can people help Operation Barnabas? And and then lastly, but certainly not least, how can people get a hold of the book? Operation Barnabas has a website. It's Operation Barnabas FL dot com. We do a lot of uh, promoting and post all of our events and things we do for the community on our Facebook page, uh, Operation Barnabas INC. As far as the book, uh, the book has a website, theuntoldstoriesofbahala.com, and you can order a book on that website. And yeah. Do you have an email address or maybe a phone number somebody can call? Yes. Email address is osee.fagan at gmail.com. Phone number is 850-814-4320. Well, there you have it. So let me ask you this last question, man, I promise. Do you have a personal mantra or a saying, personal saying or something that inspires you that somebody may be famous or even yours that, that keeps you going? I actually do. I, uh, I'm glad you asked that uh, question because I haven't said it to myself in a few uh, few days. But uh, each day is a battle, just like what they tell uh, the NFL players, not for long. Doesn't matter what you did yesterday. Doesn't matter what you think you're going to do the day after. It matters today. Each day is a battle. So whether I'm in combat with my brothers or whether I'm at the chemical plant working with my uh, maintenance uh, shop brothers, I need to do my best to win today. So if I can if I can hold my head high and say, hey, I won today. I, I gave today my best. Eventually, you're going to start stacking up some consecutive days. And 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 in my eyes, that's that's what I've been doing. I've 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 just been trying to do my best. And, and I think I've stacked up a few good days here in the past few years. And life's exciting. I'm, I'm loving it. Uh, I can't wait to stack up a few more and. And to to call it a win, I think you got to be a student of life. You got to be able to uh, be hungry to learn from from everybody you see. So if it was one thing, I I I would joke around with my buddies and I I'd say, hey, I just got to win today. If I win today, things will turn out all right. <laughs> well, you got that right, and now you got me. I'm going to be battling every day after this interview, and uh, I just got to tell you, man. Thank you for sharing your story on Straight Out of Combat Radio, and thank you for doing all the great things that you're doing to help people. Uh, there's no better tribute than that. And I uh, look forward to building this relationship and to watching the next volume of books come out. Unfortunately, we have to lose people to write books like that. But you are definitely paying the highest tribute to those people by doing that, OC. And uh, kudos to your co-author and kudos to your wife and to all those members in your network that helped bring you through that but you know in reality you did it man so keep battling you need anything from us man you know we got you so thank you for that and thank you for being here and sharing your story awesome john i really appreciate you and green zone hero and bringing awareness to uh what we're trying to do and in, in helping others you're a great man thank you for sharing with me when i met you the first time <laughs> and i look i look forward to the future with you and before we get out i just wanted to tell everybody 
thank you to my wife, Lauren. I love her so much. She's my rock. And thank awesome. you, John. Love you, man. We'll, we'll see you later. Keep battling, brother. Okay, buddy. Thank you. God bless. Before they burn it down. Thank you for listening to another episode of Straight Outta Combat Radio, audio medicine from Green Zone Hero. If you liked what you heard, then tell others about us. Like us and download us. And please remember, freedom is not free, and combat veterans are vital assets. They're not broken.